0: Good afternoon and welcome to Scoot Talk Sports Episode 8. Thank you so much for being here. I do appreciate the time that you spend with me each and every episode. We're back with another episode Friday. It took a while to get here, I feel like, this week. I don't know what everybody else's week was like, but it was certainly hectic around our house. Little man's getting older, a lot less sleep, a lot more walking. It's been pretty wild. So uh, I'm looking forward to sitting back and having a good conversation with a couple of great guys today. So if you haven't seen the tweets, you haven't seen the updates today, as always, this is an opportunity for me to pick the brains of some of the uh, the more intelligent, uh, experienced, and influential people throughout Canadian sports, as well as sports around the world. But we do try to focus a little bit on the Canadian Premier League and Canadian soccer. Uh, and with that in mind, our, fir- our first guest today is Tristan uh D'Amour? I hopefully I'm saying that correctly. My my Western English is probably ruining it. But uh, Tristan Damore is a uh, sports journalist with the MLS. He's a Canadian press sports uh, journalist as well. He does some broadcasting for McGill Athletics uh, and as well as uh, is, a, is a piece uh, on some radio and podcasts, including TSN 690 and the Scrum podcast. You can find him on Twitter and a lot of other places. Um, without any further ado, let's go ahead and bring in Tristan and uh, we'll we'll kick the show off here. Tristan, how are you? Welcome, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: I'm doing well, uh, thanks for the invite. And uh, you, you did say it right, uh, silent S, so uh, yeah. I actually went on Forvo,
0: I will admit it. I went on Forvo because I'm always paranoid that I'm going to be that guy. <laughs> yeah you know, out west in Canada who just absolutely butchers a name and it just kind of fits the, uh, uh what do you call it, the reputation we have out here for not necessarily being uh, uh, as linguistically uh, open as other <laughs> of the country. So I'm glad that I nailed it. That's good to hear. Thank you for being here. Um Really a great opportunity. For those who don't know, a lot of the time when I want to bring on a guest, it's a, it's a shot in the dark. And Tristan is someone that I've read a lot of his articles i've watched his his, you know his, his his takes his his commentary and his ability to keep us up to date on kind of what's going on and in, in the montreal scene and and for somebody who lives out in winnipeg uh it's it's been a learning experience and it's one of the reasons i've brought you on today is i really wanted to p- be able to pick your brain a little bit because i don't think folks out west especially in winnipeg we don't talk a lot about montreal sports unless it's the canadian uh for the most part um i don't think a lot of folks out here follow or we're up to date on the brand change even with with the with the impact to cf montreal so um kind of setting the table on what we'd like to discuss and i've uh, i've babbled away here so thanks Tr- christian for giving me a moment to set the table
1: i appreciate the kind words uh yeah thanks for that um so
0: The first thing I kind of wanted to chat a little bit about is I always like to get to to know folks a little bit. I mean, obviously there's the stories you're covering, there's all the different places that you have access to, but I think there's something really intriguing about finding where folks have found their niche or found their career or what kind of track took them that place. And I find it's, it's quite often not an A to B type situation. It's usually (laughs) an A to Z to R to T, and then maybe back to B before you find your way. Um, Let's start off with this. What was your first memory of sports, Tristan? What was the first time you remember getting involved or having a memory of a sport?
1: Uh, well, it's interesting because uh, I uh, I was an athlete before being a journalist. I was a swimmer for most of my life before I, I uh, ended up going to journalism school. And uh, it funny enough, I got into swimming because uh, my parents uh, figured out that I was afraid of water and they didn't want to get me afraid of water. Uh, and uh, one memory that I personally don't remember, but my parents keep telling me is about how I almost drowned. And uh, it was like some water park experience or something. And, uh, you know, a split second uh, and the kids at the bottom of the pool type situation, you know, and, you know, can't can't get yourself out. And maybe that's why I was afraid of water. And they instantly got me into uh, recreational swimming. And then, uh, you know, like the The neighborhood pool uh, and the neighborhood swimming team coach just happened to be there and was like, oh, that kid, you know, he's he's pretty good. So it it got me into this. And, uh, you know, I was always a racing fan. I I used to be a big uh, NASCAR Formula One kind of guy. I used to, you know, wake up early and watch that with my parents. Uh, And uh, we didn't have the money to do auto racing. So racing, I mean, swimming is essentially racing. Uh so that's what kept me doing that for you know up until I was 21 22.
0: So that was a long time that you ended up swimming then. That's really really wild. That's that's 20 years of 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 swimming. What did you primarily uh do when you swam? Like was there a particular stroke that you were in a particular type of race?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was a butterfly specialist uh and then uh, uh unfortunately I uh I tore my my pectoral muscle right here and it's still has like uh, it's I, I still got trouble with that, so I, I transitioned into freestyle, uh, and um, yeah, to, to make the long. I mean, I, I I'm assuming you're probably going to talk. We're going to talk about journalism, but uh, there was a there was a time where I had to make the decision to either swim at university level at uh, Université du Québec in Trois-Rivières uh, or to go to Concordia University in in journalism. And journalism was always something I wanted to do. So uh, so I ended up uh, leaving the thing that I really loved doing for most of my life and doing the other thing that I loved doing, which was to do uh, journalism. Uh, And uh, yeah, those are the types of decisions that you need to, uh, you know, you need to really sit back and think about and that like will kind of rule the rest of your life. And that was something that I had to do.
0: What a crossroads! Hey, that that opportunity to go kind of two different directions. Do you ever do you ever uh, wish you're able to cover more swimming events? More sw- I know you do quite oh a lot. Of-
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. I I definitely wish I could. I mean, I would love to. I mean, the Olympics is one thing, but there's a new league now in swimming called the uh, International Swimming League, which like a, a couple of um a couple of big time swimmers are in there, and there's some Canadians as well. Brent Hayden is in there. He's a pretty uh, well-known swimmer. Katie uh, Katie Moss is in there as well. Uh yeah, so I mean I wish I could. It's still in its infancy, but uh yeah, if I if I were to cover the Olympics, for sure swimming is like the top of my bucket list for sure. Wow. Lots
0: of time left. I, I, I imagine it could be something <laughs> that happens in the future, right? It, it's one of those things. As like I always talk to folks who've gone into journalism, it's quite rare that folks end up landing exactly in the area of where they kind of had all of their interest, right? It, you know, I had a, a buddy who who ended up going into journalism, and he can remember his first assignment was curling. And he wasn't a big <laughs> fan of curling. You know, out here, we get it's, all, it's normal. It's part of everyday life. But to us, it's sort of like something that, you know, our grandma and grandpa were really, really into. And, you know, 22, 23-year-old in school is like, uh, it's not 100% my thing. But that being said, fell in love with the sport, fell in love with the characters, fell in love with everyone he was interviewing. Mm-hmm. And now he's a nut for it. You know, he's one of those people you walk through the house and every TV is on curling. So as he wanders through the house, he never misses a Beautiful. shot. Beautiful.
1: Um, I keep saying I keep saying I had to uh, I had to do something like that as well to uh, to try and impress my editor when I was in uh, in student media to try and and you know make good graces uh, uh, and uh, I don't know if you know Julian McKenzie who now works at the Athletic uh, he was my editor back then and uh, he absolutely needed someone to cover rugby and I knew nothing about rugby so uh, you know i think i had two days to prep and i ended up like scanning the entire rules and regulations of rugby had it in one of those like notepads uh and i went away and i just tried to do my best to cover rugby and to this day it's still the only championship that i've ever covered because the the concordia stingers rugby team the men's rugby team ended up winning against mcgill it was like a huge emotional game and it's still I mean I've been in journalism for seven years now eight years still the only championship I've ever covered
0: (laughs) you know what it's funny it's funny as that's the only championship at the same time it's like what a cool opportunity between two I would assume if it's anything like uh you know Quebec American style football the rivalries between those schools would probably be relatively intense I'd assume
1: yes absolutely there's a big uh Concordia and McGill and uh there's also uh, L'Université de University of Montreal, the Carabin and the Rougeard in Laval. It's a it's a huge deal. It's a huge, huge deal, especially when the Carabin and the Rougeard uh play together because they they're they're there to win, right? And like the rougeard they take they take it so seriously. I have friends that played for the rougeard whether it's football, swimming, uh soccer, volleyball, you're treated like a king over there. You're a royalty, your family when you're with the rougeard They love you. Like that's that's, the, that's the, awesome. the cool aspect of college sports uh, that people don't really get to see. Uh, and yeah, yeah, that's that's what I find great about college sports here. Yeah. And I think it's
0: something that I I, I think that as I've gotten into, you know, foot, football and, and, and soccer, let's say. I've noticed that there's actually a load of free content coming out of U sports and a load of different like CIS and Mm -hmm. collegiate type sports that are available to watch and they're, they're good quality. It's, it's actually great to watch. And I don't think, I don't think in many people, as we would love to see, know about these options in terms of sports and, uh, being able to watch some of this local. Kids play and at a very high level, so it's it's uh, it's something that's really cool to be able. And to And frankly, on.
1: on that level, I think for, for college soccer because I, I um have the uh, the great chance and uh, the great opportunity to to do play by play now for uh, for McGill's uh, men's soccer team, and I do color commentary with my colleague Mo Khan uh, for women's soccer. And you know, I covered college soccer six six seven years ago. Uh, when I was doing student media and like to be honest the level went up they mm-hmm. they really raised that bar so yeah I mean it most of it is readily available uh, McGill has a uh, paid subscription service now so like you have to pay to watch all of their uh the redbirds and the martlets uh, all of the sports uh, so but uh, also, I love how it just like there's a lot of great journalists that start doing uh, start by covering college sports it, that it allows for that as well uh, that that's another thing I mean I you know I'm not going to say that I'm the best play-by-play person because I got like literally two games under the belt so you know it, it allows for me to you know raise my game and then potentially you know maybe that wasn't something I was looking at uh, per se was doing, doing play-by-play I always found myself more as a writer but you know, it's another thing that I can uh, that I can have fun with, and it's another opportunity maybe later on to do something.
0: You know? Yeah, I mean, it's it, that's the very cool part too. Is that even during the Olympics, I saw a lot of folks covering the Olympics because they were covering U sports and some of the the amateur sports it. that went there. And I was like, these are great journalists. I got to follow them. You know, one of them that comes to mind right off the top of my head is Ben. Uh, I, I want to say his last name is Stein or Stein. I can't. Yes, remember. yes. Shout, he, out to the, was, shout out. He was shout out to Ben. Yeah. He was killing it during the Olympics. I don't know where he slept. I don't understand where he got rest during that time, but he was absolutely nailing it. And then linking it back to, hey, here's their, here's where they play normally. You know, here's where they they're available to see when they're in Canada. Because, you know, as awesome as the Olympics are, we see all these great athletes, and then we sort of turn off until the next major event mm-hmm. that they might be part of. And I think you know there could be. It's nice to see those connections being put together. So for sure. Looping back a little bit back to, uh, you know, you're growing up, um, you know, you're, you're a swimmer. Was it, was it, if that was your favorite sport, did you have a favorite swimmer or someone that you looked up to in that sport? Or was it an athlete that was maybe outside of swimming?
1: Well, should I? I mean, Michael Phelps. Like, <laughs> it's easy, but like the dude is crazy. Like, yeah. he, he, he inspired so many people. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of Canadian uh, swimmers that I, you know, I got to, know uh, from you know being in training camps with or swimming in like uh amazing pools with i mean there's a swimming canada has a pool at um the i don't know if you're familiar with uh, parc jean drapeau and the island where the formula 1 races uh there's it. a pool there because uh they because montreal hosted the uh the aquatics world championships in in 2005 and the pool is still there and there's two different pools. One is you you know anyone can go, and the other one has a big sign that says "athletes only." And the I swear to God, the feeling of going of of crossing that path that says "athletes only" is really dope. It's really dope. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, uh, but I you know I from from being there from uh, from training with some of these people. I mean, Catherine Savard who just went to the Olympics. It comes to mind. You know, there's a, there's a trolley of different people, but Michael Phelps, what he did for this sport is, uh, is, is incredible. I don't think, uh, I don't think an athlete brought that much to a sport, uh, than more than Michael Phelps in the last 30 years. Uh, you know, you, I have this debate with, uh, with my colleague, uh, Julian McKenzie, who I've shouted out twice now, anyway, got her. Got her. uh, <laughs> but he believes it's Hussein Bolt and he's got a point. But I'll never, I'll never let go that it's Michael Phelps. This, this man is just uh, what he brought is incredible.
0: That's a, that's a very intriguing debate, and there's really good arguments for both sides. Yeah, so it, yeah. It's one of those things where it's like if I look at Michael Phelps and I think about where he put the sport, he put the sport in front of a lot of people who would have never seen it. Absolutely. And at the same thing, Usain Bolt's a guy who people really fell in love with. They liked who he was as well as what he did. And there's a sport where. Yeah, I think a lot of people watch the 100 and and some of those short distance things, but there's characters that really drive people to a sport. And Usain Bolt certainly was one of them, especially when he went and tried to play uh, soccer in Australia, which was which was quite interesting. Yeah, (laughs) what what a what a pace merchant that guy would be. Hey, just run. (laughs)
1: yeah yeah and then there was the will he won't we will will he won't he sign with manchester united and that was the whole thing yeah
0: (laughs) that Um, got out of control in in retrospect that got out of control pretty quickly it was just like yeah he's very fast guys but there's a lot of other things uh that he mm -hmm. might need to learn and i'm not trying to say usain if you're listening i know you're i know you're always tuning in but You're a very good runner. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's yeah. He's got that sorted. That's for
0: sure. Exactly, exactly. So, sports journalism. We talked a little bit about how you made that that choice. Kind of like, do I want to continue on making soccer the or sorry, swimming the dream, or do I want to jump into sports journalism, something that I've always been, you know, considering. Were you dabbling a little bit in journalism? Were you doing any writing, or were you one of those people who maybe you know played a video game with the sound off and did the play-by-play while you were playing it? Was there anything that you were interested in before you made that decision?
1: Well, there was a bit of that. Uh, there was always I, I'm a I'm I'm someone that my my mind never really stops, uh, and uh, yeah, sometimes for sometimes for the best, sometimes not. But uh, I remember. Uh, when I would, I would just go like play hockey outside, you know, just like the classic, like I'm by myself with a net and I would just like uh, invent like random storylines for myself. Uh, I would play like uh, FIFA career Mode and like sign players solely based on the story. Yeah. Like, yeah, like some, like I'm, I'm a Canadian manager and I'm like, you know, managing Celtic football club and I sign a Canadian just for the you know, the storyline, or you yeah. know stuff like that. Um, so so I always had the, the the story and the headline like in my mind. I, I never uh, really did any sort of uh, article writing beforehand. I wasn't one of those like I wrote. I was covering like a Pee hockey team at twelve years old. I never really got to that because I, there was a lot of my, on my plate anyway because I was training a lot and then school. And then, um, there's the, the slight, um, thing where I, I'm a, I'm a Francophone. I, my first language is French, but, uh, I did my schooling in English. So I had to grow up, try to be, uh, like a normal kid and also learning English at the same time as doing all of the other things a kid needs to do. So it was very difficult. I had that there, there were a lot of, um, transition periods to do a lot of uh you know tough love learning types type stuff so uh so i never really got to dabble into that but like i remember you know watching uh watching canadians hockey as a kid uh you know loving what uh pierrot and Yvonne Pedno would do on rds uh, and then you know watching the the classic watching trade deadline and trying to skip school and watch trade deadline and you know stuff like that um and then telling myself that I I would uh, I would really want to do that. And then like my parents subscribed to La Presse, and uh, and then very quickly got tired of it. And then just kept it because I was the one reading it. Uh, so and of course reading the sports section. Um, so so I, I always knew I wanted to do something like that. And then when I saw that opportunity of, um, I'm someone that when I do something, I'm going to do it like fully. So when I got the opportunity to, when I, when I signed up for, for journalism school and I saw that I was getting in, I was like, okay, this is the opportunity. If I'm not taking the chance now, I'm never going to. So let's just go at it and try and see if it works out. And, you know, thankfully it, it, it worked out. Uh, I, I feel like I've gotten, you know, quite a few bylines under my belt. And, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, it's, uh, that, that's what I tell most people is just like, if you want to, if you actually want to do it, like give yourself the opportunity to, and, uh, and cause that's the thing, right? You never know who's listening. You never know who's reading. Uh, and some of the opportunities I've gotten, uh, you know like references or like oh someone gave me your name uh, are you interested in doing this sometimes it's not necessarily like friends or people that i like know from you know from day to day it's like some people that saw me doing this and they're like oh yeah you're that guy <laughs> you know so
0: yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny that the way the world works sometimes, especially with the you know the the social media we see nowadays, you you never know where or how or or who is looking at some of your content, and sometimes it's it's somebody, you know, from Winnipeg sending you a DM inviting you to a podcast <laughs> you've never heard of in your entire life. But uh, <laughs> it's it what I've found too, and I, I maybe this is a little bit off topic, but what I've found too is that within, the, you know, the 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 realm of journalists sports journalism there seems to be such an appetite for cooperation and an inter- and interest in being able to help each other out and jump into each other's work or provide something for somebody else and it's really something that's quite refreshing because i came from a uh you know my professional world was was marketing project management very boring stuff and it, it's there's none of that i i don't go to another project manager and go hey how would you approach this problem it, that's not something we do whereas i found in you know conversations with with you know, um, Alex from out, out west, you know, it, there just seems to be this kind of network uh, of people who see it the same way and are willing to help each other out. And it's just such a positive vibe that really just a comment from my side on this point. But um, you mentioned that you chose to go into uh, this is something I, I really find interesting. You mentioned you chose to go in and, and learn journalism in English instead of French, which was your first language. What went into making that decision? I'm curious. Is that just because ultimately in North America most media is is English, or was it something that you decided for another reason?
1: Oh no, it was definitely not a choice. I did my schooling from elementary all the way to college in English. Oh, okay. Uh, there and uh, you know, I wish I, I wish I knew exactly why. Because there's a law in Quebec that uh, if you if you're not an anglophone, you need to go to French school, and mm-hmm. I got to forego that uh and i believe it's like some family lineage but uh my family is not an en- is not an english-speaking family uh i i speak french went with my parents uh so uh but i got that opportunity uh, to 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 go there it wasn't my choice uh they okay. dropped me off first day and i felt like i was on mars it i'm not gonna lie it was not it was uh, not easy but uh but my so my writing is a bit better in English than it is in French uh, because you know force of nature uh I've done that more uh I I wish I could do it more in French uh I've had opportunities where I I I could I I wrote a few I wrote a few articles for the Canadian Premier League website in French when it first Mm -hmm. started up uh and and that was great um but uh most of my writing most of what I'm known for which is very weird because in Montreal there's this very—I um, don't know if you're familiar with the two solitudes uh, aspect—but a lot of people around here think that I'm an anglophone uh, because I don't have an accent, uh, you know, because I was uh, peer pressured into not having one. So, uh, so <laughs> it's 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 something that I I, I hesitate
0: to ask those questions because I know language is something of a uh, a very important topic in quebec and i certainly don't want to minimize it but i just find it very interesting right that that it's 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 something that i i I found striking whenever i when i whenever i hear you speak is it if you don't come across as somebody who who spoke uh french first but then when you speak french it's absolutely clear uh you (laughs) know that 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 was your original language. and it just it's very cool because it is as somebody who lives out west I confess, you know, when I, I I had the chance to to live or to live and work in Quebec for about six weeks when I was in university, and within a few weeks, you know, the language came around. My my grade ten French mm-hmm. from from out west got me through, but it's something that I think. I, especially as a son now, or I have a son now, I'm thinking, you know, do I want to do, in a, and this is kind of funny because you have the opposite experience, I'm sitting here and my, me and my wife are thinking, do we want to put my kid directly into French Immersion? Because the idea of, uh, from, a, from a job standpoint and also from just being a Canadian and being able to embrace both sides of, of, of the coin... Um, I just, I just thought I missed out on something there, especially when I got into being able to travel out out to Quebec and looking at some of those jobs that existed, you did need to be bilingual. And my grade 10 French wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna cut it. So uh, I appreciate you allowing me to kind of dive into that because it it is interesting um, and likely a little bit unexpected. I think that some, at, at some point, especially for folks who are listening overseas in UK, like, what do you mean you have to kind of choose which language at a young age, right? It's, it's, it's a very unique unique part of quebec
1: although i gotta say i have kind of a brad friedel syndrome where uh so i learned uh i learned i went to high school in the uh in montreal's italian neighborhood uh so whenever i'm around italians i start sounding italian and people start asking me for the longest time people thought uh, people actually asked me where from italy i was from that's Which is crazy. interesting from like a very franco québécois like like what are you like my name is d'amour, like <laughs> what are you hey, talking you, about? Come on now, you saw the name <laughs> like, <laughs> like but but yeah, so it, it but it's weird and uh but but yeah i I really you know in hindsight, I really when I was a kid, I resented my parents, I was like, what the hell are you getting me into <laughs> but you know in in hindsight, it's you know being able to freely speak without without any uh reservation both languages is like an absolute skill yeah. i and i appreciate every second of it and i try to learn more uh i try you know i've, I've been trying to learn spanish and i i try to you know i can understand it, i can read it a bit uh so that to me learning languages to me is an absolute skill yeah absolutely
0: yeah and especially i think you know as a journalist it allows you to have more casual conversations with folks especially if it's in their own language too right it, i think that's something that's often forgot that a lot of english language you're speaking to someone who's not their english is not their mm-hmm. first language um i always think of uh, bielsa with Leeds who insists on having his translator there even though he can probably speak english he realizes that he, the way he's going to respond may not line up with what he's actually trying to say so he continues to have that translator it's just very interesting um Last question on kind of your sports journalism come up, let's say um, what was your first job that you can remember? Now, obviously, you probably would have done some work when you were in school, but what was your kind of first where you felt like I'm in the industry now? I'm part of this. Let's go.
1: Uh, well, it's kind of I kind of have two answers because one of it was uh, th- thanks to student media. I got to cover. Uh, the two years of the uh, Montreal Impact uh, Academy team. Well, not not Academy, but reserve team, which was called FC Montreal. They played in USL. And that's how I got into soccer. USL, like uh, old school Montreal Impact against the old school USLs, like the Rochester Rhinos, the Charleston Battery, the Richmond Kickers. Like, that's my jam. Like, that's what I absolutely love. And when I saw they were coming back, uh, I knew I had from the rugby thing... Uh, I knew I had, uh, the, um, the faith in the, you know, my, my editors had faith in me and I was like, okay, like, hear me out. Can I beat right for this team? And they were like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, so that's, that's what got me known. And, uh, and then the actual like non like uh, university pays me type thing, uh, has to be pro soccer USA. Uh, which was uh, for those who, for those who don't know, it was a startup venture uh, that uh, the Orlando Sentinel and the Chicago Tribune Publishing Company started because they saw a hole in the um, in the market for soccer coverage and like mainly um, MLS, NWSL, and um, bit of USL and stuff like that, uh, US national team, and so they started a website where they had one correspondent from every market around mls and uh it was uh oh, damn i can't i can't remember i can't remember their name oh i'm i'm so sorry i'm That's so sorry okay. <laughs> but uh yeah so uh a, a writer left and they knew me so they uh, they vouched for for me to uh, alicia rose del gallo who was the eic of uh, of, of that back uh, back in the day and now she's doing um The new usa today sports plus uh venture which is looking really dope they do nfl stuff it's great uh and that got me to cover so many things i got to be a proper uh montreal impact beat writer i would go to training every day and like file from training i got to you know i pretty much was the first one to say that uh, yuka Raitala was the captain of the impact like all of those stuff i got to cover the men's national team in toronto i got to like go to another city right and get paid for it like that was you know it it was literally living the dream to me it was it was great and unfortunately uh because of the pandemic uh the 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 venture uh, ended up not working out and then the uh, the Sentinel got, or the, the Tribune got sold and that whole, and up, and then ended up, uh, kind of going afloat. But, uh, that I, you know, one of the first like things where I was looking at myself being like, okay, this is for real. This is yeah. really the, this is the thing. This is the beat writing thing. Yeah. That's very cool. It's just unfortunate. The pandemic
0: has had such an effect on yeah. so many things throughout, throughout, throughout the entire world it's one of those things where we're always going to say you know things in like this and then the pandemic and then after mm-hmm. this is what i did right it's it's what a weird story for my kid i always like to say you know we always hear those stories of parents saying oh, i had to walk uphill and minus 40 both ways to school i'm like we have our own set of stories now where you can just say the whole world was on fire <laughs> <laughs> yeah um a good transition, I thought we could talk a little bit about CF Montreal, given that we we just talked a little bit about how you got into covering, you know, their their B side their reserve team, which I actually didn't know about. That's that's very cool that they were uh playing in a, a lot of
1: uh a lot of the uh of a lot of can PL players yeah. are former CF Montreal graduates. That's so cool. And the, you know, before we even get and into Master Casher, like the Valor FC player, he played for FC Montreal.
0: I was just going to say, I was like, I'm pretty sure he had a connection to that club, but I'd have to go double check. Yeah. I'm so bad. I, I mix people's histories sometimes. And then I say something like that's another player on the same team. <laughs> okay, okay, Sorry. I, this is why I'm not a journalist. Uh, <laughs> but thinking quickly about the Canadian Premier League before we jump into the CF Montreal, because you did mention it. Is it not sort of a glaring hole in the league that there isn't a, a, a Quebec team? Like oh, is absolutely. It not, Like, it's not a national league until there's a team in Quebec, in my opinion. Would you agree?
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. They, in their first, uh, in like year zero, when they had the open trials, there was an open trial in Montreal and that was the only, that was the only, uh, uh, city that didn't have a team. Like, I think it's always been a plan. It's absolutely always been a plan for there to be a team. I feel like we're, you know, I, I, I'm not in the, uh, I don't, I don't know any, uh, inside info of like what's going on right now with this because. Uh, there's been so much contradictory information in the past like few years and and I'm not in the uh, in the in, in the in the know as much as I used to be. Uh, but I think we're a bit closer to a team in Quebec City than we are to a team in the Montreal region. Uh, but I definitely think there's a place for a team in the Montreal region because uh, as long as I, th- I think they have to do completely different than than, than what CF Montreal does. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what that would mean, but I think there's definitely a place there and the relevancy in Montreal, which is, you know, uh, and in Quebec, which is, you know, one of the biggest provinces in this country, Mm -hmm. uh, it won't be as relevant as it is. I'm, I'm invited, you know, on the radio once in a while to talk about what's going on with the CPL because there's a lot of Quebecois in there, but it won't have as much relevancy until we have a team here. Yeah. it's plain and simple
0: yeah absolutely so that being said let's talk about the team that we are that is there uh in the montreal area and recently rebranded and this was a little <laughs> bit of uh i know you've probably talked about this a load we won't go super deep into it but i wanted to just touch to it on it because uh folks who, who follow this podcast most of them are overseas some of them are within canada but i don't think people realize what this rebrand caused and sort of the conflict that's currently brewing or is continuing to brew uh between the club and its supporters. Could we talk first about why or at least the argument that the ownership had in terms of doing this club name rebrand from
1: the Montreal Impact to CF Montreal. Uh I I I think it uh. It's an interesting question because, uh, at first when, uh, the, the impact moved into MLS, they said that they were going to keep their image. Uh, and I feel like it probably would have, it probably would have been a, a better idea to make it then than to make it now. Uh, but, uh, I think it, it, it all comes down to, uh, the, the change in, 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 um, in not ownership, but how, uh, the change in in the higher ups, I should say, uh, Joey Saputo, who was the owner, he's the team that essentially revived the Impact because the Impact was on the verge of bankruptcy, if not bankrupt, brought them back as a nonprofit, and then you know built it up, you know, con- constructing uh, Saputo Stadium, and then getting into MLS. He, I mean, Montreal owes a huge debt of gratitude to Joey Saputo. But he was also the club president uh, at the same time. So what ended up happening was there came a time where it, it, it became almost a necessity for him to take a step back, especially since he had just acquired uh, FC Bologna in Serie A. And in came Kevin Gilmore who is, um, an experienced, um, uh, business, uh, club president. Like he was, uh, with, uh, AEG when they had the galaxy, when they had the dynamo, when they had, and he did a lot of different things, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, club management. He, uh, led a, uh, he led the Anaheim Ducks in rebranding from the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim to the Anaheim Ducks. Then he went over to the Canadians and uh, was a big, um, he was a, a, a big proponent and he ended up uh, putting forward this new uh, era of the Canadians with the Club uh, 1909 kind of uh, fidelity program type deal. So he, he, he went to different places and implemented different things, and uh, he ended up, uh, you know, succeeding to Saputo in in the club presidency at the Impact, wanting to uh, bring a, a better. Uh, he wanted to he wanted to bring a better impact to the Impact. Uh, essentially, mm-hmm. he wanted the club to be. Uh, a bigger like a bigger club than what it is and and what he kept saying when he came in is we're in a big city we should act as a big city club and uh and then the the rebrand happened uh a few a few years a few months later uh to the surprise of a lot of people i don't think a lot of people expected that uh and uh and it caught a lot of people by surprise and and uh, the and the rebrand you know wasn't it wasn't well received by a lot of people and uh you know they came in with a uh, um i I, don't, I guess for lack of a better word a blander name like there, mm. there wasn't a nickname and uh I, that was the one thing uh because they had uh, they when they presented it in front of everybody in that like big like digital conference and whatnot i remember being there and they well being virtually there and they had uh, all of these different like uh almost like samples of like different things that they wanted to bring and uh the the guy who ended up the, the guy who created all this uh, Kevin uh no I don't remember his name but uh you if you followed this you know Justin Kingsley there you go uh they had uh, CFMTL which ended up being the hashtag and then he had CFM and then. They had CF Montreal, and then they had Club de Foot Montreal, which we use less now. We, that's not a thing we, you know, they, you know, even the the, the Twitter account went from Club de Foot Montreal to CF yeah. Montreal. Uh, people didn't really like "foot" as Club de Foot, or you know, there was a lot of different things, and it, it felt like they 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 came at it without necessarily knowing what it was, and and I remember asking, or I remember. A few people asking, like, so what is the new nickname? So are we not saying Impact anymore? And then they were like, well, we can still say Impact. We can still, people will call it whatever they they call it. But then they had merch that said CFM and not really CFMTL. So it felt like they kind of chose something while saying that they'll, like, organically choose it. And it was a rebrand without necessarily having any sort of input so it wasn't that organic. Uh and then, you know, the, the the CF as opposed to FC was was uh was French as opposed to English because that's another thing you need to think about in Montreal. Yeah. So it, a lot of it was um it, it felt kind of loose in terms of what it you know a lot of people were left asking a lot of questions. And uh and and then there were the 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 very The well the ultras but that's a supporters group that's you know that's a whole other thing but the 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 supporters because over here and i i don't know if it's the same thing in winnipeg with valor is in montreal it's a canadian's town right Mm -hmm. it's a habs thing you turn to sports radio you know nine times out of ten you're going to hear canadians talk for good reason because that's what people want to hear and uh the people that liked the impact liked like they loved the impact so much so that they they became kind of frustrated with mainstream media because they didn't talk about it enough so it was a a small amount of people in the grand scheme of montreal uh, that were only talking about their soccer team and so it became uh like almost toxic because uh they kept saying well we can still say the impact but because of this there there was such a intense debate on the name that impact the word itself became taboo almost and it like it, it felt like if you were saying impact as opposed to C- a cf and if you were saying cf as opposed to impact you took a position mm. and it so and so that's been brewing for 6 months and and unfortunately uh you know people will say the pandemic did cost a bit of that as well but there wasn't a lot of discussion between uh management and ownership and the the fans uh so uh it it became kind of a um like a a crockpot like the pressure kept building up and uh and obviously the the uh how can i say the the not having home games was a whole thing too so the first few home games well of course the chants were still impact and and not cf we didn't hear any cf chance uh, as of as of now and you know so there's a there it's still very much uh a, a, a contentious issue uh six months and so after the fact and uh but that's what it was right it was always going to be that uh it, when you change something people are always refractory to change but Uh, I think a lot of people were disappointed uh, towards ownership. I I don't think I've ever felt any animosity towards the the head coach or the players. I don't think there's any animosity to that. Uh, The supporters are still supporting the team. It's just the ownership that made those changes. There's still some debate uh, on that front. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because what we've seen is it doesn't in the way that I've read it from, from the coverage that I've seen, including some of the articles is around it's really a conversation between the supporters and the executives, the team, the staff. They're sort of caught in the middle. Um, they're just wanting to play the game and be able to play the game and be f- fairly well supported. It's It's just intriguing because if I tap into my little bit of a marketing background, it just seems like And this is going to sound very project managing, but it's, it's a reality is they didn't consult with their stakeholders. They didn't have a conversation with everyone that was going to be impacted by, and there I am using that word, terrible pun, um, who was going to be, you know, either frustrated or, or, or happy with this change. They didn't do enough. And maybe it seems like that bland kind of, they were going to put it out and see how people just kind of integrated it or took it in or kind of took ran with it. It just seems a little bit, um like you said it just felt light it just felt like it was is like we, we could be whatever whatever you guys think but at the same time we've already printed shirts that have this on it so yeah it was uh it was
1: essentially it, it it was very contradictory uh and i think um and yeah there was a lot of there was a lot of different things i remember uh when we did uh we recorded uh a, a scrum episode uh, a few days after and one of like the one of the biggest contradictory to me uh, was uh, how Justin Kingsley, who was explaining, he was at the forefront, really explaining the uh, the creative process, said that the one of the influences was uh, San Paulo Football Club, mm-hmm. which for for the for for the you know, global football fans know that is a it's a very activist, you know, a very left leaning type of uh, club that is very close to its values and then when they tried to explain the colors which the color black on the jersey is called impact black and uh one of the reasons for the the color was to it was the to be in the black which is to make money which is incredibly like a stark difference from what san Pauli stands for and and like so there there was a lot of contradictories um to to a lot of people uh you know I, i i remember you know and uh Uh, It was very fiery in February, March. Uh, A lot of people were uh, against and were like slowly uh, as as the team is is playing and they're playing pretty well, which is uh, which is, you know, good for the grand scheme of things, because I believe if they were the last team in MLS right now, it, it would be there would be no positives to attach yourself to. Uh, but uh, but you can really sense it like I, you know, on, on Twitter and like most of the most of my timeline is is about, uh, you know, IMFC slash CFMTL Twitter. Uh, so you see it all the time. Anytime there's a reference to uh, Gilmore or uh, any, you know, there's the, the there's easy jokes, easy like mentions of uh, there's all you, you see it a lot of Gilmore out a lot of uh you know rebrand mentions like like tongue-in-cheek like why are you saying this or that like you see it a lot so it's still very much there and like a lot of people will say well you know calm down like what's the whole point like stop mentioning this but it's what you see like it's still visible you still hear impact chance and and now uh the the club took an even stronger um position with uh with uh, banning uh, Section 132, with the, where the Ultras were. Uh, and, and then, you know, not to say that it was fully uh, uh, because of the rebrand. Uh, there were things with, uh, you know, especially in the last game against Toronto. I was told I wasn't there, so I can't... I haven't said anything about this because I literally wasn't there. I was covering the Alouettes game, which happened at the same time. Uh, so I can't really talk about that, but, you know, they mention a lot of that and then you know like the other game there was a plane flying over that's that said uh bring back the ultras bring back 132 like it was yeah you like we're not hearing the end of this until the end of the season that's for sure
0: yeah that's for sure it's really interesting and I appreciate you taking, you know, sharing what you, what you have seen and what, and, and I, I remember your tweets that day. Cause you were like, I'm watching the, I'm at the Alouette game, so I can't mention what's going on, yeah. but I'm trying to keep my eye also at kind of what, what was happening. Right. And that must be tough for you are at an event, you're covering that event, but at the same time, something is happening with a team that you also cover. It must be just like, I need 80 phones in front of me.
1: And I was, I was getting, I was getting roasted by everybody for not being at that game Ugh, i heard it all it's <laughs> uh, too bad here with a couple minutes left
0: tristan again big thank you for for jumping in uh we've run out of time i don't wanna i think what we'll do is we'll probably uh bring you on maybe closer to the mls season again if you're interested and we can chat about uh, how the team is playing we got into a lot about uh your career as well as the the politics of some of that that rebrand change uh, which was really really interesting and i appreciate your time before we let you go, um, I'm curious, where can people find you these days? Uh, obviously, I've mentioned you're, you're a sports journalist for MLS. You're working with the Canadian uh, Press Sports, uh, as well as a broadcaster for McGill. Um, where else can people get connected with you? Or is it just Twitter is the best way to go? Let us know how, how you'd prefer to be found.
1: Yeah, definitely. Twitter is the best way to go. That's where I, I'll, I'll share pretty much whatever I'm up to. Uh, yeah, MLSsoccer.com. Uh, and then the Canadian press, I that's where I do uh, Alouette's football and uh, maybe more. I'm not, I'm not, I can't announce anything yet, but maybe a little more. Keep, keep uh, your eyes peeled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially if you're, if you have a wide scope, if you're not just a soccer fan. Yeah. But, uh, and uh, yeah, the, the McGill, which is a really cool little thing that just happened uh, following the uh, the men's and women's soccer team. So uh, that that's going to be interesting. They have a really nice young team with uh, former MLS uh, Academy players and uh, uh, former PSG Academy player. That's an interesting one. That's uh, that's, that's fun. So, uh, that's yeah, that's what I'm up to these
0: days. Well, thank you so much, Tristan. Really do appreciate it. You guys get out there. Give this guy a follow. He's really doing some great work. He's keeping us connected out west with what's going on in Quebec. Uh, really do appreciate your time, Tristan, and have a, a great rest of your Friday.
1: Thank you. And thanks to the comments. Uh, appreciate all of them.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. Talk soon. That was Tristan Damore. He is a writer journalist with MLS.com, as well as someone who uh, does a whole lot of coverage within the Montreal area, as well as Quebec. Thank you so much for him joining us today. Fantastic. Next guest, is ryan davis ryan davis is a broadcaster uh that i had the chance to hear during the world cup qualifiers and i was so impressed uh with with his coverage and and his ability to call a game i thought why not reach out give him a message and see if he would be interested in coming on and talk a little bit about his career his love of sports and without any further ado let's go ahead and bring on ryan ryan thank you so much for joining us
2: thanks i'm having me on the show this is a real honor thank you
0: yeah, no, I I don't know about an honor, but I I, I do appreciate you having, having you having on. It's a it's a it's a quirky little podcast out of Winnipeg, central central spot in North America, as far away as you can be from the beautiful <laughs> sunny Florida, as I'm sure as I'm sure yeah. you're enjoying right now.
2: Well, just a just a quick rundown. Um, I have family ties in Canada. I have my mother's brother, my uncle. He lives in New Brunswick with his kids, and then I have very very close friends of mine. They live just south of Toronto. Could you remind me of a town? I can't remember the name of the town, but just south of Toronto. And um, so at our intent is to come up to Canada this year. So not only are have family ties, I can't wait to come and visit Canada.
0: Hey, you know what? It's one of those great things. It's like out here in Winnipeg. I'm pretty far removed from Toronto, but one of those places that we constantly love to fly into, grab some food, see some events, and then fly back home. You'll love it. You'll love it. And in terms of small towns around Toronto, I could name a billion. To me, it's one of those places that when I drive through coming out from the prairies where our cities are a little bit smaller, it never feels like the city never ends. The sign keeps changing of what town you're in, but... Just seems like the same city, but thank you very much for joining us, Ryan. Um, Yes, thought it would be great to have you on. Obviously, after seeing you on one soccer, I'm not sure if you knew all the networks you were on where you were doing that coverage, but there was some conversation on Twitter about how impressed we were with your coverage that night, and uh, it it was something
2: so much. I I didn't get that feedback. Um, (laughs) It was a good game. It was a really good game. I really enjoyed calling it, and um, yeah, seeing the U.S. come back was. It was impressive. I, I thought they were stumbling before that game. The build up to that game. They were really kind of sputtering, not not firing in all cylinders. And let's be honest, Honduras allowed them to come right back in that game. So mm-hmm. it was fun to call just because one team came back on the other. That was it.
0: You, you mean yeah. you love a game where there's a little bit of action, a little bit of a, a, of a storyline of intensity that comes through, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. It makes it a lot easier to call the game for sure.
0: Yeah. So – Let's, let's get to know you a little bit, Ryan, if you don't mind. Sure. I wouldn't mind asking you a few questions just to get to know where your, your love of sports started. Okay. Where did you grow up? Uh, obviously, it wasn't in Florida, I'm, I'm guessing. Okay. But um, oh. where did you grow up and what was your first memory of sports?
2: Um, I, was, I was born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, my dad was a professional cricket player. He played for the West Indies, which is a pretty big deal in the cricketing circles. Um, so his love of sports really just came down on me, uh, my whole entire family, which is all his, his, um, brothers and sisters, my aunts and uncles are huge sports fans. And so that eventually just came into my household and I grew up in a household where sport was primary number one. So I started off playing table tennis and, um, I was actually the junior champion of Trinidad and Tobago nice. in table tennis. To start with, when I was about seven, going up to about thirteen, and during that time, um, I was playing cricket and, and football, soccer, and uh, I just just loved sports. I either I either I was watching it on the TV or I was playing it in the yard with friends. So it was nonstop for me growing up.
0: That's that's quite amazing. I had no idea that you had a connection to a a world class cricket player. That is very cool. Yeah. Um, so. You really didn't have much choice. I feel like this is gonna be no. the sense for my for my son. He's only about fourteen months, but I feel like I'm just gonna basically dump sports on top of him. <laughs> um so so you played table tennis as your first kind of choice. <laughs> what got you into table tennis?
2: Well, my dad again, he's um he's so savvy when it comes to sports that um table tennis is such an interactive game. Um, it's so fast. So if you introduce it to a youngster, somebody who's young, boy or girl, doesn't matter. Uh, because it's so quick, and the, the person who is playing the game is constantly connected. There's no boredom, so it's so easy to get into at that age. And um, the speed of play um, translates to other sports. So following,
0: oh, sorry, of, um, I think your mic just cut out. That was for my.
2: Got a call. Um, so following a little, a little ball um, makes it easier to to follow a bigger ball. With a, in a different sport, soccer, or cricket, or whatever, so that's what really kind of um, set the stage for me playing table tennis, and that sort of launched everything after that.
0: That's very cool. I, I I will I'll tell you honestly, that was not the sport that I expected you to say you got into <laughs> first. That is very cool, though, and I think. I think sure. it was just recently there was during the Paralympic games, there was a guy who kind of went viral playing table tennis. I think he had, uh, I think he had amputee of some sort. So he had one arm and he was unbelievable at it. It was incredible yeah. to see. Yeah. It's an amazing
2: um, sport with and um, it, it really, it has a real tight knit community. Like if you ever come across somebody who plays table tennis in Canada, I'm sure they can talk a lot about their community there.
0: Yeah, I'll have to put it on my list and bring somebody in Do from <laughs> from uh, Table Tennis Canada. That's it's something I gotta learn my, uh, learn about. Um, so growing up playing table tennis, your father's yes. a cricket player. What was your favorite yes. sport to watch or to follow? Was it those sports or was it something else?
2: No, it was definitely um, football, soccer. Um, it was just so it's so easy on the eyes, and I guess that's why they call it the beautiful game. It's so easy to to follow to watch. And uh, to emulate, so you you would watch whatever you you see on English football, or English soccer on a Saturday, and you run outside in the yard or at a friend's house and try exactly what you just saw minutes ago. So I began watching um in the eighties. Yes, I'm going to give away my age. In the eighties, <laughs> I started to watch um English soccer, and um I was turning into a big Liverpool fan because they were the best team, and I was like eight years old. So why not follow the best team, right? Yeah. So. Liverpool were the best team at that point, and I am. Once I pick a team, there's no turning back. I mean, this thing can tank for thirty years running. I'm that guy following that team. Yeah. So I'm a Liverpool fan, thick with him, um, and that really sets the stage in my club soccer, club football. That's who I
0: follow. Yeah, you know what? It's been a good couple of years for the Liverpool with uh, Liverpool supporters yes. too. So <laughs> not a bad wait. choice. Yes. Did you did you have a favorite player growing up?
2: Yes, very much so. It impacted me big time. Um, it was Diego Maradona. So if you ever laid your eyes on Diego Maradona playing soccer, whether it's on a YouTube clip or you get a chance to watch it live on TV, like I did, um, so I, so Saturdays were English football, and in the islands on a Sunday was Italian football. So yes, I started to follow Napoli because of Maradona, and I mean, if you ever saw, if you ever saw this guy play. It's just mesmerizing, and he's so excited to watch and just sort of capture your heart when you watch him play, you know? So Diego Maradona, first, second, and third.
0: Yeah, it's 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 wild because as soon as you mention Maradona, it's like, well, you don't need anyone else on the list, basically, at no, that yeah. point. And and as somebody who's a little bit younger, I I you know I obviously didn't get to see him play. I didn't get to see right. him play. You know when he was healthy, or even be able to do interviews when he was healthy, unfortunately. But yeah. seeing some of the movies and documentaries that have come out on his life, his career, uh, it's moving. He, he's he's such an interesting character who who I think is sometimes misunderstood off the pitch, um, but on the pitch, what a what a what a legend! Like. What struck me was his ability to build up a persona on the ground, unstoppable, untouchable, unbelievably confident, yes. and then off the ground, very much a you know a family, family guy who, who really sort of yeah. lost himself.
2: The thing with Maradona, I mean, I've studied Maradona because I was such a big fan of his. The thing with Diego and so many other um, athletes is that because they come, usually come from really poor situations where there's no other distraction, so he has all this ability and all that he's doing is uh, is um, getting better at his craft, right? Because mm-hmm. that's his only outlet in life at that point. And then he starts to excel. And this could go wrong for any athlete that comes from that area. He starts to excel and then he becomes really famous, um, really great at what he does. And then he can't handle that fame and fortune because he has no support, no proper support. And also what he's seen in his life is nothing that's preparing him for that sort of fame and glory so usually just steamrolls them and then they all become these jokes off the field which is so sad to watch you know
0: yeah it is sad and it, but it's so understandable if you've never had that experience and and yeah. going from nothing and focusing only on one thing and then going no. to having everything right it, it's yeah.
2: I mean let's be clear what we're talking about nothing here. I mean Maradona's upbringing was um literally the worst part of Toronto that you can think of. It was behind that door. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's where he came from. But we see it so many so often in other um athletes and heroes that uh it's pretty common, you know.
0: The only thing that I can hope is it's with all of that being coming to light and we understanding this now that it's a lesson for some of those, you know, those people who look up sure. and have those same dreams to realize that you know what? When you get it, you don't need to spend it. You don't need to be that celebrity. It's actually okay to just go home and hang out with your family.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know what, too? I have, to, I have to say, though, I think in media, we have a part to play as well. Because as Maradona comes off the field and he gets a shower and he puts a towel over his neck, we stick a microphone in him and ask him not only about the game, but then we ask him about politics. This is just Maradona in general. We ask him about politics and everything under the sun, which is just crazy.
0: Yeah. You know? Especially when Sorry. he was in Napoli. That was the one thing that I, the political involvement that he didn't quite even realize he was part of that ended Correct. up becoming a, it, it's, it's, it's wild, wild. Nice. Um, So Maradona, fantastic choice. I think, <laughs> I think everyone can understand that, especially if you've ever watched the one clip of him warming up with that music in the background, that's for always seen on YouTube and for oh, all yeah. places, oh, yeah. that's something every kid who plays the game should see. It's, it's, yeah. It's loving. Yes. He literally looks like he's the happiest he's ever been. He's just hanging out yeah. with himself, shoes untied, just having a blast. And that that to me was one of those, those quick clips, Ryan, that dragged me into the love of, of football and dragged me into loving oh, yeah. soccer and wanting to get involved. It's just this, there's a beauty to it. And, and it's really yeah. hard to describe what you see when you see it, other than yeah. to say, look, that's a beautiful game. Watch it. Why aren't you watching it? Right.
2: And I'll I tell you something else about, about soccer. Um, someone's personality, the way that they are off the field, it comes to light literally within five minutes of them playing soccer. You can see if they're a distributor, if they're a sharer, somebody who's more adventurous, will take on people, um, somebody who's willing to, a defender, a goalkeeper, willing to protect, willing to save. Yeah. It, it literally comes to light in five minutes on the field You could just walk onto the field um in um anywhere in Canada and see a pickup game, look at somebody on the field for five minutes, and you'll have a pretty good eye outline of what sort of personality they are.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so true. That's a great that's a great little tidbit. So we talked a little bit about how you know you're you're a fan of Liverpool. What other sports do you follow? Do you have any other sports that you follow actively?
2: Yeah, and you know. Weirdest thing. So uh, I got a chance to come to college in Florida uh, when I was 20. So up until then, I was playing cricket U19 trials. So I was trying to get onto the um, Trinidad and Tobago U19 cricket team. Um, It didn't work out, and I got the opportunity to come to college, which I'm so thankful for. But when I came to the US in the mid 90s, um, you know there was no way of watching cricket, so what I did is looked at the other bat and ball sport, which is baseball. And it quickly, the, um, the comparisons were so close so people don't realize um, that I started to really follow baseball. And I, got, I really started to like it a lot. Um, I got a team, the Boston Red Sox, and I started to follow that team. And yes, through Thick or Thin, that's my team. And um, I really started to get into it and I could relate to it because the bat and ball sports are so close together um, on and off the field. So uh, I, I follow baseball. I it's really basketball. interesting.
0: I uh, yeah. I know folks who are big fans of cricket. Whenever I mention, "Oh, I watch a little baseball," there was almost a little bit of a disappointment because I haven't given cricket a shot yet. But it's interesting yeah. because there is a lot of kind of overlay between those two sports. Yeah.
2: Yes. Definitely. So um, just a quick snippet here, just like a pitcher would try to hit the outside corner of the plate and have the batsman you know flash at it. The Same thing in cricket. The bowler going to bowl just what we call outside off stump, which is the outside part of the plate, and have the batsman try to flash at it. They try to pitch or bowl in that what we call the corridor of uncertainty. If the batsman is not sure if to go after it or not, and it really comes to it comes down to a game of cat and mouse between the batter and the and the pitcher or bowler.
0: And, and someone, I, I don't know if you've ever had the chance to, 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 like, obviously you played cricket. I don't know if you had a chance to play baseball, but I grew up playing, you know, in, in Western Canada. It's quite common. You play ice hockey in the winter, you're playing baseball ice. or soccer in the summer. I chose baseball at the time because I okay. loved, I loved pitching. There was something about that one on one battle with Beautiful. the batter.
1: Yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's, it's really hard to describe to people who haven't had that or played it at a top level, but it, you really do become. Nothing else matters. You're looking at the one guy. Yeah. You're aware, obviously, of what's going on in the field where, where positions players are positioned. But for that moment where you're you're really, truly locked into a one-on-one battle in a team game, it, it's such yes. a unique experience. Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, one thing about pitching as well, um, it really is about skill and craft. So you can build up as much as you want in the gym. You can run as fast as you want down the track and get as fit as you want. And yeah, those things will pay off just a little bit but it's really about skill and craft and your discipline to be able to hit that spot, that one spot regularly. So I, I tip my hat to, to pitchers and bowlers where it really does come down to to skill, like golf. It's skill.
0: So, so you mentioned basketball as well. What is your, your basketball team?
2: Right. So growing up in, um, in the Caribbean, the basketball package that would come down on the TV, it was, uh, the Lakers or the Celtics? Pick one. Yeah, The yep. Lakers game or the Celtics game? So I turned into a big Magic Johnson fan. So I followed the Lakers through and through. Um, so in the ni- so in the 80s, when the Lakers were the most popular, so I, I picked them, of course, I was 10. Um, and then throughout the 90s into the 2000s, I kind of dropped off of basketball a little bit because the game has changed so much. Mm. And um, I can't follow everything that I would like to. So it's um that one had to kind of go to the wayside a bit, but I'm a little disappointed on my Lakers team. They're really starting to just bring everybody on like it's some sort of all star joke, so yeah. it's taken away that sort of organic feel to it, so I'm kind of disappointed.
0: yeah, they really are the retirement uh home uh franchise of the NBA right now, and it's gonna go one way or the other in my opinion. It's either gonna yes. go they're gonna have a great season and they're going to show everybody all that experience or they're going to have injuries galore throughout the season and they're never going to get set. And one of the two. People don't
2: realize there's only one basketball. You can have four yeah. All-Stars but only one ball to share. Yeah. So that becomes too many Chiefs and not enough Indians.
0: Yeah, You know what I mean? Ex- exactly. Exactly. You know? So uh, basketball, football, uh, love it. What are you looking for – this is just a curious question. What are you looking for from your from from Liverpool this year? Obviously, there's been some really interesting uh, transfers for other teams. Chelsea, Man, Man yeah. City, looking very very strong. But you yeah. have Van Dyke back, which is fantastic. Yes. Um, what do you think? Uh, what do you think Liverpool is going to end up with this year? Back to Champions League? Are they going to fight for the title?
2: They're going to be in the top th- top four. Um, it's going to be. I know everyone's thinking this that it's going to be just a couple points separated, Man City, Chelsea, United, and Liverpool, because I say that on depth of squad. So I think City just is just so much deeper. They still have the best coach as good as um as Chelsea have been and um how good is their roster and their coaches now. I just think the Pep Guardiola style of football, it just lends itself to winning three points more often than your style of play. So in a cup game, you can beat Pep Guardiola, sure. You can beat him 1-0 in the Champions League final, right? You could out-scheme Pep for 90 minutes. But in a 38-game race, Manchester City are going to accumulate more points than your team. And it's really hard to beat that, combat that. So I think with Liverpool, and I'm a very harsh critic of my own teams, I love Jurgen Klopp. I love his idea of football. I love him as a man-manager. But his one Achilles heel is his naivety in the transfer market. Um, he loves to build a group and really get emotional with that group, get emotional to that group, which he does. He'll take an orange and squeeze just about, just as much juice as somebody has two oranges, right? With his one orange. But I think injuries are a reality in soccer. And um, I think that's, that's going to catch up to Liverpool. And that's going to eventually not allow them to compete, at least in any uh, in the, in the top two.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I always, I always like to ask because I think, you know, that asking someone what they think their team is going to do is a, is a question absolutely filled with bias. But I, I love asking it anyway because, you know, yeah, we sure. all have hopes and dreams, right? So yes. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, let, let's yeah. move into uh, how you got into sports journalism, how you got into commentary. Sure. So you mentioned that you came here for, for – or came to the estates for college. What was it that you took originally?
2: Well, I, I got to go way before that. Um, <laughs> when I was watching – when I was watching um, English soccer on a Saturday, I would literally take my ball outside, and the commentator, the big commentator at that time, was John Watson. So, John Watson would finish doing the FA Cup game, and I'd just have his voice in my head. And uh, I would go outside and I'd kick the ball against the wall to like Ian Rush or Kenny Daglish. And I would call the game while I'm shooting the ball. Lovely pass by Daglish. And there's Rush, you know, sliding in his 10th goal of the season. Um, so I would start from that age. I was seven years old, um, and when I would play cricket, um, someone who was very close to my family, who is also a very big cricket commentator, his name is Tony Kozier. He passed away, but he was a West Indian. He's, he's a legendary West Indian commentator. So I would actually practice commentating when I'm playing cricket, and so that love was always there. But growing up in a in a conservative um, home in in the Caribbean, it's not always. Um, the best choice to go and follow sports broadcasting when you have limited opportunities uh, on an Island. Mm -hmm. So I did, when I when I got the chance to go to college, I did what any responsible kid will do. I did marketing, marketing, management, a lot of advertising and so on, which is great. I I love that too. But as time went on, um, I started to, there's this fire inside of me that was relentless and I would not be able to let it go until i pursued it and that was being a commentator a sports broadcaster a show host any of those things all of the above so i had to follow through on it and it's been a heck of a journey
0: yeah that is that is very cool because i actually uh, uh it's funny my 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 real world job is marketing i'm a project manager in that world so i i have to <laughs> laugh a little bit because uh you know as much as i enjoy what i do and i enjoy um, you know, um, working in teams in a professional environment, there's always that little itch of, man, you know, the dream is is something else, right? And 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 yeah. it's, it's very cool to hear that from you, Ryan, because I think it's sure. something a lot of us don't do often. You obviously yeah. an exception, but people get locked into a career and they think those things are in the past. They're still there. You can still chase them. You can still make it happen, right? And and that's, it's very Absolutely. cool.
2: A uh, great Canadian by the name of Jim Carrey. He has an amazing clip, and I listen to it all the time. He said, you have a better chance of failing at something that you don't want to do, at failing at something that you do want to do. So if you're going to fail, may as well fail at doing something that you want to do, because you have a better chance of succeeding doing that. So I took that to heart. I listen to that clip every month, every time I need some motivation that, man, this is not going as well as I wanted to. I listen to that, I get back on the horse, and, and I go again.
0: It's a really good choice, too, because Jim Carrey is someone I think that a lot of people don't realize that he worked oh very, very hard to get where he is. And there yes. were times that he was he he was, uh, you know, um, working jobs that none of us would imagine him now. You know, yeah. a, he was a, a janitor. He was all sorts of things before he was popular. And, and there's a guy you can look at who go, you know, he he was in his late 20s before he really became known. And I always like this little tidbit. I don't know if you know this. But his big movie was The Mask, right? Everyone thought that The Mask was the big movie, even though Ace Ventura came out before. The funny little tidbit there, and this is this, I believe this is true. Hopefully, I'm not going to lie on a recorded show here, but <laughs> The Mask was recorded two years before he did Ace Ventura. It took a very long really? time for them to do the, the special effects. So it ended wow. up being kind of uh, serendipitous, and it worked out for him really, really well. It's just one of those things that always sticks out in my mind. Anyway, random nice. comment. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. So you did marketing when you went to school. What was your what was your first opportunity to dive into that that burning kind of desire that you had? Were, were you working in kind of the marketing world and finding a niche there, or were you working on your own outside, still trying to chase the dream?
2: Um, I was just working with a company, um, paying the bills. I enjoyed the job. Um, it's a food distribution company. It was the company would bring foods down from the UK. And bring them down to Orlando, Florida, which has a huge tourist base and expats from the UK. So I'll be the representative to get these UK foods out into these stores like Target, Walmart, um, Publix, which is our big grocery store down here. Make sure they have that British selection. And it was really, really good. I was on the road all the time um, in my 20s, my, yeah, 20s, early 30s, loving it. Um, But... As I got later on in my 30s, closer to my 40s, to around 40, um, I really, really could not ignore the feeling of following through on my dream, becoming a sports broadcaster. So I put it out there in the universe. I put it out there to my friends. I told them what I wanted to do or who I always was inside as a person. They understood that. And it's amazing when you put something out there and you come to that conclusion, your brain starts to figure out pathways in how to achieve this goal, whether subconsciously or consciously. So you can be driving down the road or reading an article or listening to a conversation, and that the subject matter in your head, which is sports broadcasting, little words, snippets, or names would spark something of how you can achieve that goal. So when you put it out there, it's the best thing you can do. So I did that and I got a feedback. Hey, I one of my friends, they can put you onto somebody. I know somebody in, in, in sports broadcasting. So this guy had a basketball um, league that he put together for the youth. And they, somebody told him, told him about me. So he said, well, bring him in for this interview. So I came in there and I was so nervous. I was so scared. He asked before I come in to put uh, to do a clip on, on, on basketball. He said, just look at any game and just call, give me five minutes of a call. So I did that and I put it on my iPhone. And he took my iPhone and he pressed play and he turned around so he couldn't see me. All he could hear was the audio. And when he turned around, I was like dripping with sweat, <laughs> oh, with God. nerves. Okay. Yeah. This, is like next, this is like a charity gig. This is just like a freebie. This is like volunteer work. He turns back around and he says, "He said to me, I really like how you sound. You really have something there. And he's like, dude, why are you sweating so much?
0: <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> like,
2: I'm so nervous. You know what I mean? So he didn't understand. That was my dream. This is my dream. Inside of me, this is make or break for me. This is like everything for me. For him, this is like some guy he just needs capable enough to call a game For some youths who would have no idea who's calling the game or if they're calling the game. So, but for me, it was for everything. So I got the gig and that was my first gig calling a basketball youth game. Um, The announcing, in comes in Jeremy, number 25. Jeremy comes from this high school, whatever. I'll just be doing that all day long. And it turned out to be really good. So I got invited back ever since. So that means I did a good job.
0: That's awesome. And I, I feel you though, like even people don't realize that sometimes even things that you do for fun because you're, you're, mm. you're so invested and you're so like, Oh, this could be a step. Like, uh, um, yeah, I, I would yeah. compare that to me doing interviews on this pod where I I'm, I'm nervous for no reason other than just being nervous because it's someone I haven't met or talked to before. Right. And, and quite often people are like, Oh, you look a little nervous. So like, well, what did you expect me to be? <laughs> but that, that is a really like honest and heartwarming story you know that that there is a bit of fear that that's involved with chasing your dream and there's going to be those moments where you're sweating in a chair hoping to hear something good right so that's awesome
2: my dad always told me like when i would go to play sports um whether whatever sport it was it could be a final cricket soccer whatever he would always say to me nerves are a good thing it's a sign that you want to do well for yourself Mm -hmm. he will never pick somebody on his team who wasn't nervous that means that person doesn't really care they don't want to do well he wants the guy that would be nervous and wants to do well in the game and prove to himself that they want to do well so nerves are a good thing
0: yeah absolutely there's the a lot of times you know it, you know the the words anxiety gets mixed in with anticipation or the in and, and sometimes it's not anxiety it's just part of the moment of what's going to happen Correct. right um yes. so absolutely was there any goals games that you covered in your kind of commentary career that you will never forget? That something that you you will always cherish or share when anyone asks you about your time commentating?
2: I do the um I do the Tampa Bay Rowdies as an analyst, not play by play. I do I I work for them, and I've seen some really good games. But the game there was a game last season in the playoffs when one of a guy whose name... His name is Lucky M. Kusana. Lucky, believe it or not. And wow. he's coming off the bench. And he's known as a super sub. He's just Lucky. And he comes off the bench. The Rowdies are really pressuring this team. It's against Charleston. Charleston beat them twice already in the season. So, our Stadium in Tampa, St. Pete, Tampa, um, St. Petersburg, Tampa Bay area. Everyone's sweating because they're nervous as well. It's coming out to the last 10 minutes. Lucky M. Kosana comes out to the field. And so said so the so so said so so happens. Lucky gets gets a hole of a header, tucks it away in a corner, the entire crowd goes crazy. I go crazy. I almost grab the play-by-play guy and like, have, him a, have him like in a chokehold as he tries to make the call, you know? So I, I'll always remember that moment. It's just one of those organic human moments that uh, you just allow yourself to, to give into. So I'll always remember that.
0: How long have you been working for the Tampa Bay Rowdies? Speaking of a, of a, of a soccer club or a football club that is, has a history and has been around yes. for quite some time and quite often gets overshadowed by the, the MLS clubs that play nearby. But I think most people know about the Rowdies. It's one of those things that, you know, even in the football manager community, people yes. love the Rowdies. Like there's, a, there's a something with the USL clubs, right? So how long have yes. you worked for them?
2: Uh, for the last three seasons. So it's been a great ride. And that's where I got my first real gig, uh, working for the Tampa Bay Rowdies as a color analyst. So what an organization. Really, really great team of people off the field and on the field. Um, and their their brand is so strong. It's so organic. And I keep using that word. It's so grassroots when it comes to U.S. soccer. They've been around forever. Even when Pelé was playing in his NASL day- days, he was playing against the Rowdies. And everyone... They've, they've stood the test of time, you know, and I think people respect that.
0: Especially, especially in the North American markets, if a if a club can stay through the the ups and downs, the collapse yes. and creation of multiple leagues, and the fact yes. that the NASL, I had a chance to interview a player who played for FC Edmonton during the NASL days, the last rendition of the NASL, and yes. it, it's just a wild league like just the concept of a the travel and then the financial differences between the clubs in it you know you, you have the cosmos spending whatever they they can find going yes. crazy versus the rest of the league it was a wild league you know we we talk about um we talk about
2: travel like you just mentioned so all these big leagues in the world italian english um dutch spain france germany these are all relatively medium to small countries. Imagine having a league in the U.S. Yeah. It is such a large scale of area to cover. Stephen Gerrard came over here and he said, you all don't understand. The travel, to, just to play in this league is ridiculous. I'm sweating my you-know-what off here in L.A. Then I go up to Colorado and it's freezing cold up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Then I go across to the East Coast uh, over in, in Maine and is freezing. It's just such a big, large mass of area to cover and to play a league, you know? Yeah,
0: it's it's wild. It's one of the things I love sharing with people. You know, the Canadian Premier League, which started three years ago, there's a team in Halifax on the East Coast, and there's a team in, the, in Victoria, BC on Vancouver Island. And they're yeah. the longest domestic away game in the world. It's hard to explain to someone that that's a six and a half hour flight just to go and have an away day. Well, depending on which way you're going, it's faster one way yeah. than the other. But it, it's a long. That's a long flight. Big, yeah. <laughs> um, these, guys who
2: come, these guys who come over from Europe, they're expecting a one hour flight. Maybe, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. So. What do you mean? The away day is like we need to actually go to the plane and the day before, right? Like it's such a weird, weird concept yes. for people when they come over, for sure. But that being said, you know it's it's um, as somebody who who is desperate to see leagues work, you know, throughout North America, distance is one of those things that is it, it's a unique factor over here. It's never you're never gonna have the away days where I can drive thirty minutes or take a bus. For twenty minutes to go have another game in the same league, it's always going to be a all right. This weekend, I'm going to go grab a hotel. We'll go see the game, and then I'm going to go back yeah. home. Right? So, um, <laughs> right. so a couple of last questions before we wrap up. I'm just curious. So, commentation co- or commentating games? Commentation, commentating games during Wait, the pandemic.
2: You? Sorry, go ahead.
0: Wondering what it is like to co- to commentate a game remotely, for the most part. A lot of games I think you're probably doing remotely these days. Is that not true?
2: Well, it's so funny that you asked that. I'm going to show you real quick. Hang on <laughs> to your internet. Here, here we go. So I'm just going to turn around right here. And this is for tomorrow. Yep, see all this madness? Oh, wow. Yeah, so tomorrow I'm actually making my debut on... NISA in the NISA League, National Independent Soccer League Association, in U.S. We're um, having a. It's a really big game tomorrow, and this is the first time I'm calling a game in my house. It's going to be. It's going to be very unique for sure, but it's a definite difference from calling a game remotely in a studio, in your house, as compared to being at the stadium, because as human beings. We don't realize it, we really give off energy. If you ever walk into a mall or a gym, you can feel the energy from people, literally, if you close your eyes. So there's a big difference when you're doing work like this on your own or being at, being in and around people.
0: Yeah, it must be really challenging to try and capture the atmosphere of what it would be like at the event when you're sitting at yep. home comfortable in your living room. <laughs>
2: yeah. yes, it really is. Yeah. So you kinda have to um, take your mind and put yourself in the stadium, and don't allow your mind to stray that you're back in the um that you're in a studio,
0: you know. So the NISL game, who is part of that? If I remember correctly, I think a lot of the NISL games are actually available for free. If I remember correctly, to be able to catch it, so are we going to be able to watch that? Yeah, I think
2: so. This is it changed to NISA. So it's NISA. NISA.
0: NISA. Got it.
2: Yes. Association. Uh, <laughs> um yes it's going to be on BN sports so that'll be in the north america i believe north american markets yep. and then if you go to the nisa website or youtube you should be able to pick it up there as as well
0: Yeah, because I have actually caught a few games of a friend who lives in Indianapolis and he is obsessed with a lot of the lower levels and he loves to show me teams I've never heard of, show me games that are on that I've, you know, had not had the chance to see. And it's that's what I love. You know, a a lot of people, you can see all the big games, all the big leagues, all you want. But I think it's really fun to be able to catch games where, you know, it's truly, you know, a town shuts down. Everybody goes to see the game, right? It's it's a, a, a certain vibe that's really enjoyable about that.
2: Yeah, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the Canadian star himself, Alfonso Davies. And he started off, I believe, in Montreal. Was it Montreal?
0: He actually was Vancouver. So he actually started uh, in Edmonton, was where his family grew up, and he got identified by the Whitecaps and brought into their academy at a young age. I couldn't remember what age, but they got a good one.
2: (laughs) That's just another example of that sort of talent lingering in the lower leagues sometimes not discovered. And also, because of these salary caps, at least I know in the MLS, because of these salary caps, if you're an owner of a team and you only have a certain amount of money to spend, there will be people dropping through the gaps that you can't afford to pay that will be really good, a good player, but you already fill that roster already and you don't have that money to pay that player. So they go down into the USL or the um, NISA and you have these really talented players down there.
0: And it's something we've seen a lot of like Canadian Premier League is sort of in that conversation now where you're seeing players who may jump back and forth between the USL Championship or USL League One. Um, And what's really cool is I think if you look at, you know, the NISA, uh, the the USL and the Canadian Premier League, every single year the quality seems to improve across all of those leagues. And all that's doing is helping build a better base. And we're not going to lose a talent that might, develop a year later than he was expected to or something like that, right?
2: Because they could actually make a living playing the game, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: I think the coverage is such a big deal. ESPN Plus down here in the US has been doing a really good job of really covering all these, well, the USL especially, covering these leagues and
0: allowing
2: the platform to be taken seriously. And that really just dribbles down into the field of play, you know?
0: Absolutely. And, and as somebody who lives outside of the States, the best thing the USL ever did, and I think loads of leagues could learn from this, put your games on YouTube for free in the markets that you don't have an agreement to show it. You're not going to make or lose any money out of that. Just throw it on YouTube. Sure. I get to Free watch cover. all the USL games. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You're one kick away. That's great. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, I really do appreciate you coming on the show today, Ryan. This has been a fantastic conversation. I, I think that not sure. only I've enjoyed it, but I'm sure that anyone who's listening or will take part in the pod when it's released will absolutely love your 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 story. It's 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 a unique it's a unique adventure that you've had. Uh, and it's, it's still continuing and I love it. I think that's what life is all about is grabbing those opportunities, sweating it out for a moment and realizing that you're on the path to that dream. Right. So.
2: Correct. And I hope the same for you as well. You're doing an amazing job. I mean, you're so professional as a host, so please continue what you're doing.
0: Hey, I appreciate it. You know what? I always say to folks, it's a lot like running a large meeting in a marketing office. It's about sitting down and kind of making sure one has a chance to communicate and have their say. So really do appreciate it. Where can people find you, Ryan, if they want to get connected with you? Is Twitter the best place to find you?
2: Twitter is still the best place. Um, I do a terrible job in letting people know what I'm doing next. So I promise I'll be better in showing some games. I do the UCF game tonight, University of Central Florida. That's on ESPN+. Plus, So I'll be doing that this evening. Then I have the NISA tomorrow. Uh, hopefully you guys can find it there. And I will put it on Twitter. So if anybody um, is trying to find me, it's not uh, only Ryan Davis at CYR, but I also have Ryan Red Sox Ryan 13.
0: Red Sox Ryan 13. And as a Jays fan, I'll forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. you know what? It's funny. I joke about this last little comment. I it, it, sure The AL East, is one of those divisions where it, it's amazing. It's, huh? it's, it's hard to it's hard not to be frustrated because every team, for the most part, is good except Baltimore, as we know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what about the Rays? The Rays own um, the Rowdies, by the way. So I I get to talk a lot to to Rays owners and Rays people. I mean, they play Moneyball. They do Moneyball like nobody else's business. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: It's, Fantastic. It's incredible the Rays because every year as a Jays fan, we go, is this the year the Rays will their deals won't work out? And they somehow make trades, bring in a great roster of guys who aren't making that much money and compete for the division or a wild card spot every single year. It's 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 impressive, and it's something that Anyone who loves a sport where money dominates should be excited to see clubs that are still able to do that and outthink the big budget players like uh, the Red Sox or the Jays or the Yankees. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, thank you very much for being here, Ryan. It's been a great conversation. As always, guys, you can find him, Ryan Davis, C-O-Y-R, on Twitter as well as Red Sox Ryan, was it as well?
2: Red Sox Ryan thirteen.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, Ryan. Have a great rest of your Friday and good luck on the uh, the UCF game later today.
2: Thank you very much for having me. I hope to speak to you soon.
0: Absolutely. Talk soon. Bye. That was Ryan Davis. He's a commentator, a uh, sports fan, as well as uh, a former marketer, which is very, very cool. So thank you very much for Ryan and Tristan joining the show today. It's been a really great episode. Thank you very much for listening and all the best. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your time with me. You can find all the previous episodes on your favorite podcast app just by searching Scoot Talks Sports. You can also find us on YouTube if you're interested in watching the old video on demand. But hey, this episode's recorded live on Twitch Sports, and you can actually be part of the episode by following at twitch.tv/scootr. That's Scooter and joining us on Monday and Fridays at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time. You can always connect with me on Discord, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. If you want to find out all the ways and all the links, just go to Twitter, search underscore SCOOTR, and you can find my profile and click on the link. Let's talk soon. Thanks again so much for listening.